Hey, everyone. I'm so excited to share our podcast has been nominated in Boise Weekly's annual Best of Boise contest. And while it's an honor to be nominated, I have to admit it would be even more fun to win. If we've helped you connect to the city you love, go to the link in the show notes to vote for us by May 23rd. Thanks, Boise. Today on CityCast Boise, every year, Idaho places some mental health patients in prison. They haven't been charged with a crime, but they can be kept in solitary confinement for months. Our own Blake Hunter is talking about this ethically and perhaps legally questionable practice with ProPublica reporter Audrey Dutton. It's Tuesday, January 16th. I'm Frankie Barnhill, and this is what Boise's talking about. Well, Audrey, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on CityCast Boise. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. You, for ProPublica, wrote this deep dive into Idaho's practice of imprisoning people who are deemed a danger to themselves or others. And Idaho does that because we don't have a separate and secure mental health facility to house them in. Um, And now I imagine that a lawyer might debate whether we should use the term in prison uh, for these patients, but they're certainly in a prison and against their will. This is a very thorny topic, but can you walk us through to start with, what's the process for the state to actually send people here? What has to happen? Yeah, and I would agree with you that I think uh, there could be an argument for using the term in prison. But uh, so the process begins with almost every state, if not every state, has a civil commitment process. So if you are severely ill uh, and you can no longer make medical decisions for yourself and you're a danger to yourself or others, you can be placed on an involuntary mental health commitment. And that essentially leads to forced treatment. And in Idaho, it's usually hospitalization. Uh, And there's a whole legal process for doing that. So it's not like you're just taken from your home and taken to a hospital and that's You you lose your rights forever. There's a a process for two designated health care providers to agree that you are in that situation and you need treatment. Um, And then it goes through the court process. uh, A court will approve it. And then generally, and in almost all cases, people will go to a health care facility. In about a half dozen cases a year, a person responds to their mental illness by behaving violently. So in a, in a few cases that I know of, there could be a, a patient who thinks that when a nurse approaches them, they are looking to infect them with a disease hmm. or uh, that uh, you know someone is trying to implant something in them. So they have a, a delusion that makes them act out right. to kind of protect themselves, um, or they may be angry. That can be mm-hmm. a, a reason too. But if their behavior is stemming from their mental illness and not just along with a mental illness, then they can be declared dangerously mentally ill and admitted to the Idaho Department of Correction right? as opposed to a hospital. And this is just the the prison south of Boise, right? That's right. Yep, it's the maximum security institution for 
for Idaho. Yeah. And just to put a fine point on it, these are people who have not been convicted or even charged with a crime, correct? Right. So the unit itself uh, has beds set aside for people who are have been civilly committed. There are two different types of civil commitments. We focused in this story on the type that is a pure civil commitment. So they are just patients. They have not been charged with anything or convicted of anything. Right. So among these people who have been uh, like deemed dangerous um, or violent, um, one of the reasons that Idaho stands out so much in this practice and a lot of the, the point of your article was to point out that we are soon to be the last state to do this, to to put people uh, who have not been charged or convicted uh, and need mental health treatment to put them in a prison. Like we're literally about to be the last state to do this. Right. You wrote about uh, New Hampshire just rose recently broke ground on a new facility, and so they were the last one. What do other states do, though? What's the vast majority of the U.S. doing for these kinds of people in these kinds of cases? Yeah, so you've probably heard the term forensic hospital. Right. That's what most states do. They have a forensic hospital um, or some sort of of highly secure place. Um, Idaho does not have that and just over the decades, since the 1970s, has not built one. Yeah. Um, so you wrote that this commitment essentially spells solitary confinement um, for like multiple months at a time on average. What's the daily life like for these patients um, and how is the facility actually set up? So there are some photos in our story. Um, the Idaho Department of Correction was really open with us and allowed us to tour the facility twice and take photos. Um, we were, of course, really careful about not violating people's privacy because the folks who are in there are there against their will and they can't consent to having their private information shared with the world. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so the, the facility itself is a prison um, and the each each cell... And they are cells. They're not, you know, hospital rooms. Uh, is about the size of a parking space, and it has like a one little bed frame, metal or concrete, um, a sink, small sink, a small toilet, a table, um, yeah. and a shelf, and that's it. And it has a little window where they can um, see out onto the prison yard, essentially. Um, and a little window to communicate with staff. So it it depends how how sick the person is and how much they're they're acting out, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, how much they can leave their cell. And some of the the folks who are in the most kind of severe level can't leave without shackles around their ankles, cuffs around their wrists, and escorted by two people. So, as you can imagine, that's not a whole lot of um, of flexibility, and so they end up often, you know, just taking showers. And then, as they progress, that's the the whole idea is to get people to progress to the point where they can be safely moved to a hospital, right? Um, to get mm, behavioral healthcare treatment. And uh, once they're at the point where they're almost ready or ready to be transported, they can come out and play cards and go outside um, to the recreation area and things like that. One of the details in this story that really caught my attention because it, it was just 
I don't know. It's, it's just kind of incredible. This almost like you called it an imaginary barrier uh, between some of the people in this prison that included just on 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 the cell uh, door, just a, a taped letter C indicating mm-hmm. that the person inside was a civil commitment. So how how is the actual facility set up and like who's taking care of these people? How? Yeah, this is Department of Correction staff, correct? It is. Yeah. Or uh, the medical contractor. So okay. depending on who the staff person is. Um, so this is kind of an interesting piece of this. Um, the folks who work in there, the corrections officers, what most people would consider guards, prison guards, they choose to to work in this unit and they're selected. Um, a lot of them have, you know, family members who have been who have uh, mental illness or mental health issues or um, their, you know, their families have worked in this kind of field for a while and they grew mm-hmm. up in it, that kind of thing. Um, and they go through some specialized training and there are also staff members who like psych techs is, is one of the kind of common okay. um, jobs that people have in there. And they, they basically are, are mental health workers. So, so it's a small team. That's the thing yeah. is, you know, in a hospital, they'll have like recreation therapists and discharge coordinators and things like that. And they just don't have that here, but it is all, it's all corrections staff. You mentioned that they were really helpful in getting you in. And of course, there are some, you know, press has certain rights and whatnot. But why do you think that the prison officials were so open and so helpful for you? My sense is that they want a separate facility for these folks because it puts them in a weird position, you know, like the chief psychologist for IDOC is overseeing patients who haven't been convicted. And I think that that's it's a challenging place to be put in. Um, they and the staff who work with these with these guys generally. Um, there is one bed in Eastern Idaho for a woman, but it's most of them are men. And the staff clearly recognize that this is not the ideal situation. It is subpar, right? And they care about these men, and so they want them to get the best care that they can. And they are really doing the best that they can. But I think that there's there's a sense of wanting to kind of show what this is because Mm -hmm. most people don't know about it. I was a reporter for a decade and was only like slightly aware of this situation. So, and also they do have a, a, there is, there is a requirement for them to get up, give us information, but they, but they also were very open with us. And um, we did interviews with folks and I didn't feel like there was any kind of vetting going on to make sure that I would only talk Mm. to certain people. So something that you mentioned in the article, um, which, you know, we're talking about, this is a very morally and ethically uh, dubious situation, uh, putting it lightly, but it could also be illegal. What what laws might this practice be violating? Yeah. So I talked to a couple of kind of the the premier attorneys in this field. Um, And of course, with Idaho being one of only two states that does this, there's not a whole lot of precedent out there um, because this is an unusual situation. It's not a prisoner's civil rights issue. And it's not a purely patient hospitalized issue. Um, So there's a little bit of a little bit of trickiness there. But the lawyers that I talked to said, you know, this may be a constitutional rights violation, civil rights violation. It may violate the Americans with Disabilities Act that is meant to keep people who have disabilities 
which includes mental health disabilities, from uh, receiving different treatment from other patients. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is paraphrasing, but you wrote that the state has been told 14 times since 1954 that there needs to be a secure unit outside of a prison and has been told publicly that the state might be violating civil rights by not having one uh, eight times since 1974. Do you think that it's just because there are so few states that have done this that this hasn't become a lawsuit or is there another part of this? You know, I asked that question to uh, an ACLU attorney who kind of specializes in prison-related cases. And and I said, what is it? Is it just because there are only like a half dozen people a year right. and there just hasn't been someone who's brought a lawsuit? And he said, you know, I have no idea, but what I can say is that it there aren't a lot of lawyers who are willing to take these cases, mm. um, any kind of, of case related to prison. So it might just be a matter of, there's no attorney, there's no plaintiff, who knows? I have no idea why there hasn't been litigation. What he did say, though, was I would encourage Idaho to change this practice before it does get sued. Yeah, absolutely. Especially being, you know, the last one. Um, So the other really big question here, of course, is why hasn't the state just built a facility yet? There have been so many efforts over the years that you wrote about since, I mean, you start the story, you know, in 1976. Right. Why has this fallen through so many times? Yeah. um, So there are kind of two things that have happened. There have been kind of active efforts to get something built, and those have been either walked back or abandoned over time. But there's also the issue of, well, we're working on something permanent that's going to be good, so let's just keep doing this. Right. But that's been repeated over and over over the decades. Um, And uh, so in the mid-2000s, a former Senator Joe Stegner, um, who had a very strong interest in in mental health care and kind of reforming Idaho's system, um, he championed getting a, a facility built. And Governor Otter put it in his budget, uh, put it in his 2008 State of the State address, mm-hmm. and what you know, everyone was on board. There was legislation that had been passed. Money was. Uh, authorized. There was there were bonds authorized to be issued, and unfortunately, it was in two thousand eight, and we all know what happened in mid to end of two thousand eight. Everything yeah. just kind of crumbled. Um, so I talked with Governor Otter, and he said, "Yeah, that was that was a big part of it. We just had to start cutting or not spending." Um, when I talked with Joe Stegner, he also wondered if something that had happened a year before had kind of taken off some of the pressure that might have, you know, pushed it forward, which was that um, uh, the state changed the, what had been the Idaho Security Medical Facility Act to the Idaho Security Medical Program. Mm. So, because they recognized that they were not putting people in a in a specific facility, right. um, so they kind of changed the law. And the idea was to put the state on a stronger legal footing if it if it did get sued. Like that was that was explicitly the reason for changing the law. Um, and what may have happened is he he thinks probably that reduced some of the pressure to build a new facility. Um, and then Governor Little, uh, you know, fast forward to twenty twenty three put in uh, his budget recommendation this last legislative session to fund um, 
$24 million for, uh, for a facility that would house uh, 26, up to 26 people, including these who have been put on civil commitment. Um, unfortunately, it died in the budget committee. So didn't move forward. Um, yeah. He has signaled that he's going to try again, though. Uh, so we will see. Yeah, we'll get back to that in a minute. But I want to go into my little speculation corner and just say, I wonder if, you know, part of the reason why this hasn't been turned into a lawsuit is because the state over and over again has said, we will make this a priority uh, and then kind of quietly backpedaled. Um, and so I don't know, that just has me wondering about that, that over 50 years, if the state has just kind of gone back and forth. Um, mm -hmm. But also, like you said, people don't want to take up prison cases. Yeah, and it's a small yeah. population. And one of the things the the chief psychologist for IDOC, um, Wally Campbell, he said these are not the kinds of cases that tug on your heartstrings. I think he said these are the the forgotten and the damned. Yeah. Like these are people who don't have. It's not easy to champion their cause as it might be uh, a child in need of foster care or something right. like that. And so, um, when the state's choosing its priorities, these aren't often the top priority. Yeah, often going to be on the chopping block, yeah. Um, but like you said, you know, Governor Little has kind of put this forward as a priority. The state has a huge government surplus right now. Um, mm -hmm. And because it will be, we will be the only state to do this practice um, soon here within a few months. Do you think that this will change? I mean, you've been writing and thinking about this for months. I know this was a very long process for you. Mm -hmm. um, what's your assessment of, like, is there a shot at this this time around, do you think, this legislative session? I mean, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> I was hoping you knew. That's why. I, <laughs> yeah. um, yes, I can predict the future. No, Great. so the, the, the issue is that we have had record surpluses the past few years, and they've been largely sent back. Um, mm -hmm. Some of them in tax in tax breaks, essentially, or refunds. So, um, will that happen again? Will another capital project get preference? Um, this legislature is not in not often interested in spending a lot of money. So, yeah. we will see. And going into an election year, you know, a lot of people yeah. would love to be able to say, you know, please elect me. I sent you back money. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, this will definitely be something that we keep an eye on. Well, thank you for all of your deep, deep work on this. Uh, and thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate you, Audrey. Thank you so much, Blake. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Be sure to come back tomorrow morning for a real talk convo about what it's like to leave Boise. You don't want to miss it. See you then.